0: Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter ten this morning. Luke chapter ten. Beginning in verse twenty-five, Luke ten twenty-five. Just beginning a, a series in the Gospel of Luke in the Judean ministry of Jesus. Luke ten twenty five says And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law, how does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord, your God, with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify him, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, came to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. They put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. Whatever more you spend when I return, I will pay you. Which one of these three do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. The phrase Good Samaritan seems to be bandied about quite a bit in our culture now. We have Good Samaritan hospitals, Good Samaritan Medical centers, Good Samaritan rest homes. We have, uh, sometimes when you have someone do something in the news that's significant, they'll always call, and it was helping someone, they'll always call him uh, Good Samaritan. We even have Good Samaritan laws, which protect those from lawsuit. Good Samaritans. Well, is that all that the meaning Of the story I read is somebody going out and helping uh, a person who is in trouble. Well, it's partly that, of course. But there's an underlying message that's in the Good Samaritan story. You see, the story did just not come from heaven and plop itself down in Luke chapter 10. But it involves an interaction between a lawyer... And Jesus, and Jesus uses the story to try and help the lawyer come to an understanding of what true spirituality is all about. Now, in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to us, he says, test yourself. Test yourself and see if indeed you are in the faith. The lawyer starts the conversation out and he says, and he, he asked him a question, but he was saying that to test him. But as you read the story, what happened? Uh, Jesus was being, wasn't being tested, but who was The lawyer ended up being tested. So let's have a little, as I say in your boat, and have a little pop quiz. See how we're doing. So we're going to talk about what real spirituality is and what it is not. And we'll start off with what it is not. You can look in your uh, bulletin. Spirituality is not proud but humble. Spirituality is not proud but humble. Notice what it says. The lawyer asked him a question. Good question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's a great question, is it not? Especially to be asking Jesus. That's a wonderful question to ask Jesus. But notice Luke tells us that he was saying that for a test. He wanted to ex- extract from Jesus something that he could find fault with. Now, why would he do that? Well, perhaps he was, uh, had seen Jesus, heard him speak. Maybe he'd seen him do something. And he was coming to try and make Jesus say something that he could find fault with and perhaps show him up as he was what he really was according to the lawyer and so what you have here is you have a proud man trying to find fault with Jesus now if he had asked honestly he could have said and this question is a great question Lord what can I do to find eternal life I am so lost I don't know what I'm doing my life seems out of control and you seem to have the answer But that's not the way he came. That's not the way he came. He came to test him with a proud, haughty spirit. And the Bible says, there's no grace for the proud, but only for the humble. Spirituality is not proud, but humble. Spirituality is not just head knowledge, but a heart change. Look at verse 27. Hoping to extract from Jesus some sort of weird doctrine. What does Jesus do? He's orthodox, boy. He asked him, what shall I do to eternal life? And he turns right. That's the way an orthodox Jew would answer that question. Nothing unorthodox, nothing strange here. Jesus turns to him and says, well, what does the law say? How does it read to you? The lawyer answers the question. He is an expert at the law. And he answers the question right. You shall love the Lord, your God, with your heart, soul, your strength, and your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The the lawyer knows the Bible just as well as Jesus. Now, we'll see later on. Jesus was asked this question in Matthew 22. what What is the greatest commandment? Do you remember what he said? He quotes the exact same verse. Jesus knows the law. The lawyer knows the law. But there's a big difference between the lawyer and Jesus. You see, the lawyer knows the Word, but it hasn't touched his heart. He hasn't got a clue what real spirituality is about. And Jesus is the very essence of what a spiritual person is. You see, real spirituality is not just head knowledge but it touches our hearts spirituality is not self-justification but admits one's shortcomings spirituality is not self-justification but admits one's shortcomings when Jesus says to him, the lawyer in verse 28 you've answered correctly do this and you'll live how does the lawyer respond in verse 29 well look what it says wishing to what justify himself wishing to find some excuse you see the lawyers answer was defensive very defensive he wanted to push aside the implications of what Jesus words said to him and so what does he do he shifts the subject and says "Well, who's my neighbor this was a defensive move on his part because he didn't want to deal with his own sins. One of the classic signs of a spiritual person is what? Is being able to admit their own sinfulness. Not like Adam. What did Adam say? It's my wife. Implying that. It was my wife that you gave me. So even beyond that, it was God's fault for his sin. Story about a man, a little boy. His teacher asked him why he didn't turn in his homework. And he answered, the dog ate my homework. The teacher looked at him skeptically. He said, the dog ate your homework? He says, yes, the dog ate my homework. He didn't want to, but I made him. He ate my homework. We always talk about 1 John 1 9 and 10 about being forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a wonderful verse? The blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But don't just read the end of the verse. It begins with what? If we confess our sins, if we acknowledge our sins, and confession means agree with. So when it says you confess your sins, you agree with God and His law that what you have done is wrong and that opens the door to the forgiveness that comes with Jesus Christ. You see, real spirituality is not justifying what you've done, but openly and willingly admit that what you've done is wrong. You agree with God and His law. And you find forgiveness through Christ. Spirituality is not found in position, but in character. Spirituality is not found in position, but in character. Look at verse 25. This man was an expert in the law, but he knew less than nothing about spirituality. He didn't have a clue the Levite and the priest they had positions of authority in the church they were working in the very temple of God and yet they had no compassion and no time for the person who was hurting you see real spiritual position real spirituality is not found in position right reverend so and so or pastor or deacon or Real spirituality comes with character founded in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now history is filled with people who had positions in the church but were detrimental for the very work of the kingdom of God. And yet history is also filled with people who had no position but had character. And their character helped mold and change the very course of church history. You see, spirituality doesn't come with position. It comes with a character that's in your heart that's formed from a real relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Spirituality is not found in position, but in character. Someone once asked me, Uh, What should we call you, Neil? I was going to kind of an official position. What should you call me? Just call me Neil. (laughs) Just call me Neil. Spirituality is not limited to one group, but is open to all. It's not limited to one group, but is open to all. Look at verse 33. Now, the Samaritans, we had looked several weeks ago, they had problems with the Jews, and the Jews had problems with the Samaritans. You remember. When the Assyrian Empire invaded the northern kingdom in 721, 722, they transferred a lot of the ten tribes of Israel to other places, and they brought other people in, and there was mixed marriages. And so they had problems there. Now, when the Jewish people looked at the Samaritans, which lived just north of Jerusalem, they looked at them as a mongrel race, kind of a mixed breed race. Now, the Samaritans said, no, 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 we're the, we're the ten northern tribes. But they're probably a mixture of a little bit of both. And they had taken Judaism and just moved it just a shade left. They had their own temple at Mount Gerizim. And there's a lot of similarities with the Jewish religion and the Samaritan religion but the Jews looked on the Samaritans as a mongrel, heretical group of people there wasn't any lost love between either group but in the story Jesus says a man was on the road from Jerusalem and he was attacked by robbers and beat up and a Levite, an Orthodox Jew and a priest, an Orthodox Jew they passed right by him. But who was the person who showed real spirituality according to the Bible, according to what it says in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, that both of them, the lawyer had and Jesus had quoted? Who was the person that helped? It was the heretic Samaritan. Now, we don't know this man's spirituality, do we? doesn't say. But he was traveling on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. So there's a good chance that he was at the temple and perhaps worshiping the true and living God. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. We'll just have to leave it at that. But I'm always surprised when I run into believers in the strangest groups. You run across them, and you wouldn't agree with everything they believe, you wouldn't agree with perhaps their mode of baptism or their communion or, or their church background. You wouldn't have, but you know and you know where what? That's my brother. That's my sister. Because the kingdom of God is not limited to groups but is open to all who open their heart to Christ and have been born again. They're my brother and they're my sister. about Chuck Smith going to heaven. And as he's standing in line waiting to get in, he sees an angel sitting on the walls and he says, uh, pardon me, um, how many Baptists have come in this week? And uh, the angel answers him, none. Oh, that's troubling. How about Methodists? Any Methodists? How many Methodists have come in? No Methodists. The angel says, how about Presbyterians? No Presbyterians. Lutherans? No Lutherans. Church of Christ? No. None. And then Chuck says, looking, well, how many Calvary Chapel people? And the angel, the angel answers, none. Oh, no. And the angel continues, we don't know of any of those names. We only know of Christians. You see. Salvation is limited to one specific group or another, but is open to all—all all who love Christ. So, spirituality—what is not? Now, let's talk a little bit about what spirituality is. Verse thirty-three through thirty-five: Spirituality is measured by our words and our deeds. Look at verse 33 through 35. The Samaritan comes. He sees him. He has compassion on him. He ministers to him. He cleans his wounds. He puts him on his beast, He takes him to an inn. Then he speaks to the innkeeper and he says, you take care of him. Here's two denarii and whatever's extra you spend, I'll, I'll take care of it. You see, real spirituality is measured by our words and our deeds what we do, and what we say. Now, in James chapter 2, James writes considering how we validate our faith. And James says, well, if you say that I have faith and I have faith, what good does that do to you if your faith doesn't have any works? And he uses the same example. If you see your brother or sister in need and you help them not and you have the resources to help them, what good is your faith if you can't even help that person? And the implied answer is it's no good. You have phony faith. Some have even translated that passage. You see, you can say that you have faith all day long, but faith without works is dead. Now faith... Your works doesn't save you. We know that. But what you say and what you do examples your faith. Now Jesus calls us to be what? Salt and light. Salt and light. A preserving element in the community by what we do. We were talking about voting. How are you going to vote this week? Next week? How are you going to vote next week? Are you going to stand on your principles and that which you know to be true? Are you going to vote just by your party or what you've always voted? Are you going to examine the candidates and vote with those candidates that reflect your character and what you believe to be true? Are you going to vote? Spirituality is measured by our words and our deeds. How about how you do at work? Are you going to give them a full eight hours this week? Are you going to fudge a little bit? When your customer pays for a certain uh, process or product, are you going to to be viable to your word? Are you going to be a blessing to everyone who calls your company? You see, what you do and what you say is a measure of your spirituality. about the pro-life issue? Let's take that. Why are we so pro-life here at Calvary Chapel? Why are we so pro-life? Well, the the fact of the matter is there was approximately 47 little pre-born children that have been massacred by the abortionists in this country. And to a large extent, the church in general, the church in general, has allocated little funds or action to stop the Holocaust, like this Samaritan man. Some would say, well, what we need to do, Pastor Neil, we just need to preach the Bible, preach the gospel and pray, and I believe in preaching the gospel and praying. That's not the issue. And some would say, well, you know, that's political. That's a political, and we don't want to be involved in politics but that sounds a little bit like verse 29 when the the lawyer said who is my neighbor it smells like that verse doesn't it of course it does of course it does if the church doesn't stand for morality in very practical ways. The church doesn't rescue, try to rescue little children from being slaughtered. Then who will? I had a note, an email from some of the folks that were at the clinic last yesterday morning. And a lady came in, went up there. And then shortly thereafter came down, came, talked to the counselors, and uh, decided that wasn't what she was going to do. There's a baby going to be alive in a couple of months because somebody cared enough, somebody cared enough to be there on Saturday morning to say, no, 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 not in condemnation. No, 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 no. There's a better way. There's a better way. Somebody was a good Samaritan yesterday. Somebody was a good Samaritan because they saved that baby from death. Measured by our words and deeds. Spirituality is seen and understood by others. This kind of ties together. Look at verses 36 and 37. Jesus asked the question, which one of these three, the Samaritan, the Levite, or the priest, proved to be a neighbor? And look, even the lawyer who knows nothing about spirituality, he, he recognized it. He saw it. He said, it was the Samaritan. He's the spiritual person. He's the neighbor. Now, do you notice what Jesus did with him? <laughs> Wasn't that cute? See, he asked the question, well, who's my neighbor? And then what does Jesus do? He switches it around. And he says, he talked about what the quality of the person is, is truly the neighbor now the point I want to get here however is that the lawyer saw it now we can say all day long as a church say we believe that Jesus is the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but through Jesus okay we believe that we say yes we believe that and people looking at us will say well it's very good that you believe that but how are you acting and if are you giving any money to missions? Are you supporting any people reaching out to Jesus? Well, they can look at us and say, well, you guys say that everybody's lost without Christ, but are you sending missionaries? Are you, are you doing anything for those people in, in faraway places? They can see it. They can see if we really believe it. And here's the question. Do we really believe it? Because the unbelievers can watch us and they'll know what we believe by what we do even the unbelievers will see it, just like this lawyer. They can see it. And especially so can we. Spirituality is seen and understood by others. It's commanded by Jesus. Look at verse 37. Go and do the same. Now we'll, we'll get into that in just a minute. What, he, what Jesus means by that. But it's not an option. It's not an option. It's a commandment. Finally, spirituality is started as we end. And you're thinking, what are you saying, Neil? Well, let's go back to verses 26 and 28. The lawyer asks him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, What's written in the law? And that first reading, you're thinking, Jesus, don't you even know? I mean, why did he bring him to the law? Why didn't he say, What can I do to eternal life? He should have said what? Accept <laughs> the Messiah. Here I am. Believe in me, and you'll have eternal life. That's what the Bible teaches, right? What's the problem, Jesus? Don't you even know? Of course he knew. What was he doing? He was bringing him to the law. Why was he bringing him to the law? Because the law brings us to what? A realization of our own sin. He was confronting him with the holiness of God, hoping beyond all hope that he would see his own lostness in light, in light of the holiness of God as revealed in the Scriptures. So that's Jesus' first step. Well, then the guy quotes the passage, which he knew well, and Jesus says to him, Verse 28, you've answered correctly. Ah! (laughs) What do you mean answered correctly? That's wrong. Keeping the law is not going to save you, not going to grant you eternal life. What was Jesus doing there? Once again, he was committing him. He's saying, here's the law. Yes. (laughs) And you have to keep it. He was hoping beyond all hope that the lawyer would say what? Ah, I can't do that. You know, I've tried all my life to keep a law. And I constantly fail. I'm I'm at loss. My life is a disaster because I know of the holiness of God and I'm not keeping it. What shall I do, Jesus? That's what he was hoping for. But what did he get? Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Smokescreen. He tried to move it away from himself. Now here's my point. Real spirituality starts as we end. What do I mean by that? When we come to the end of ourself. When we come to the end of our self-centeredness, self-justification, self-righteousness, and we see our own sinfulness in light of the holiness of God. That's the first step. And until we get there, spirituality means nothing. It's just keeping the law which will get us nowhere because we never keep the law perfectly and we always fall short. So Jesus confronts him with, his, with the holiness of God and the requirement to keep the law, and the lawyer misses it. Now, I don't know what happens at the end of verse 37. Jesus says to him, go and do the same. I suppose if it had been positive, there would have been a continued dialogue as a result of the man recognizing his need and finding mercy through Jesus Christ. But that doesn't happen. So I can only assume what? Like the rich young ruler, he just kind of walked away and said, whatever. How sad. How's that? Well, I couldn't conclude today without reading a few lawyer jokes. I mean, I mean, what an opportunity. What an an opportunity. Here's Here's a question. If you're standing on a desert island with Adolf Hitler, Attila the Hun, and a lawyer, and you have a gun with only two bullets, what do you do? Shoot the lawyer twice. Why won't sharks attack lawyers? Professional courtesy. (laughs) Why is going to a meeting of the Bar Association like going to a bait shop? This is something I can relate with. Because of the abundance of suckers, leeches, maggots and night crawlers. (laughs) Warning signs that you have might have chosen the wrong lawyer. Your lawyer tells you that his last good case was a case of Budweiser. <laughs> when the prosecutor sees your, lawyers, your lawyer, they high-five each other. <laughs> and finally, warning signs that you might not need a different lawyer. The prison guard is shaving your head. Well, we like to make fun of lawyers, don't we? But in this case, we're very sad, aren't we? Because he missed it. He had an opportunity to talk with Jesus. They were talking about how to get eternal life. There it was. It's right here. Here, here, here. He just walks away. How sad. He missed it. Okay, now, let's... let's, Let me start messing with you. Let me start interfering with your life. How'd you do in the test? How'd you do on the test? Well, as I looked at this passage for myself, we could talk about me. You'll have to deal with yourself. (laughs) You have to live with you. I don't. But as I see my own shortcomings and failures, and you get to see that more and more as you get older, don't you? The enthusiasm, the, what can I say? The unrealistic enthusiasm of yourself lessens as you get older. Trust me, it does. And I see my own shortcomings and failures and I see the requirement of God and what he requires of me, I'm overwhelmed by my shortcomings. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And I'm also overwhelmed by the incredible mercy of God that he would allow me to come into his kingdom and that he would allow me to stand on this pulpit every Sunday morning and preach his word. I am overwhelmed by the goodness and mercy of God. And it comes through Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not keeping the law. It's not being Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. It doesn't even come with the position, as I said. It comes through the mercy of God that's delivered to us freely, to everyone, through Jesus Christ. I can't keep the law. I can't come anywhere near keeping the law. But I can do one thing. I can exercise my faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, and it's accounted to me as righteousness. What a gift. What a gift. Now, whenever we were given tests in school, it was always difficult. I don't know how this test is for you, but even if you failed, (laughs) you can still be a winner. Because what? Because we're all a bunch of failures. We're all a bunch of losers. We're all a bunch of sinners. We all fail the test. We all could come up with A plus, plus, plus by opening our lives to Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we we're always thankful for the goodness of God, especially when we read of a man like this, this lawyer who had an opportunity but missed it, and we don't want that to be for us. We want to open our lives fully to you. And in spite of our failures and our shortcomings, you allow us to be your kingdom, those of us who have accepted Christ. And we want to say, we're overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy. Our sin would envelop us and cause us to crash and burn in this life, but somehow you've gotten a hold of us and you've enabled us to find Christ and we're finding him. We found life. And we bless you and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.